You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning. If you have your uh, Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We are in a series entitled Wedlock, emphasis on the word lock, because some of you feel like in your marriage that you are in lockdown. It kind of feels like a prison. You know, you're, you're, you're in a relationship, you live with this person, and yet you feel isolated. Uh, for many people in marriage, over time, it just has a way of making you feel alone. Uh, you're not having the fun that you once had. You're not on the same page with your spouse. And so you're kind of in this, this season of life where your marriage uh, is not what you had hoped it would become. And in this series, the big idea is that marriage should liberate not incarcerate. And so we want to break out of this prison. We don't want to be, uh, have this feeling of being incarcerated. We want to break out. And so we've been uh, talking about how God gives us the gift of a spouse, and in this intimate relationship, he or she sees all the good and all the bad in your life. And so they have a unique front row seat opportunity to help you overcome sinful habits in your life. And, and if you will humbly listen and together seek to grow closer to Christ, you can actually help each other find freedom and a deeper, more intimate walk with Jesus. And so we've been sharing with you some keys to uh, finding this liberating marriage. And we started by sharing some keys to a unified marriage and then some keys to finding a peaceful marriage. Last week, we talked about a key to help create a gospel-centered home. And today, the message is meeting the needs of your wife. And so we want to unlock what these needs are and, and find some of these keys, men especially, as we seek uh, to help them grow and help our marriage become everything that God wants it to become. So in your Bibles, verse 25 of Ephesians 5 says this, husbands, love your wives. Number one, he says, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and what did Christ do? Well, Christ gave himself up for her. So there's an element of sacrifice when we talk about loving our wife, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water and the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives. Second time he's mentioned it, as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh. But what does he do? He nourishes it and he cherishes it. So we're to love our wife and, and we love her by nourishing her and cherishing her. Just like we cherish and nourish our own bodies, we cherish and nourish out of love our wife. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is definitely a, a physical union, but it doesn't just refer to a physical union. He's talking about a closeness here, an intimate relationship 
with your wife. There is a holding fast to her emotionally, yes, physically, and even spiritually. And the two become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife. Here's the third time he commands us to love our wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Two key marital commands in this passage, love and respect. Love and respect. Love and respect. I mean, if anything could be easier, I don't know what it could be. It's so easy to understand, and yet it's so difficult to actually do sometimes, isn't it? That you and I are called to love and to show respect to our spouse. Now, here's what happens in marriage. Without love, a wife tends to respond without respect. In other words, she doesn't feel like her husband is showing and valuing her, showing love and valuing her. And so she responds to him. Her tendency when she's not feeling that love is to respond to him with disrespect. On the other side, a husband that feels like he is disrespected tends to respond, respond to his wife with no love. And so you can see how this creates a cycle of, okay, I don't feel love as a wife, so therefore I respond with disrespect. And, and as a husband, I feel disrespected, so therefore I'm not responding out of love. This puts us in a cycle in our marriage that I like to call the crazy bus. Every single marriage in the room has taken a ride or is on the, this bus today. It's, it's called the crazy bus, and, and what we do is we say, if you would do this, then I would do this. And that starts the whole cycle, and, and we start to say things, man, if, if you would talk to me with respect, then I'd show you more love. And then we say, well, I'd talk to you with respect if you do something worth respecting. And then we say, well, how can I show you love when you treat me so bad? Well, maybe I wouldn't treat you so bad if you'd do some nice things for me for a change. Well, maybe I'd do some nice things for you if you weren't such a pain to live with. And on and on and on and on it goes, right? If you would do this, then I would do that. If you would do this, then I would do that. That's the crazy bus. And listen, no matter what we share from the pulpit, no matter what we share from God's word, unless you make a decision to get off the crazy bus, you will never be able to help your spouse grow. You will never be able to help take your marriage from where it is to where you want it to be. The key for husbands is this. Even when you feel disrespected, you choose to respond lovingly. Even when you feel disrespected, you choose to respond lovingly. And the key for wives is this. Even when you feel unloved, you respond with respect. Even when he doesn't show his love and affection, you respond to him with respect. That's the only way you can stop the bus and get off the crazy bus. You can start to work on your marriage at that point. And once you do, then you can begin to implement some of these keys in your, in your marriage and in your life. And God will transform you personally and you uh, as a couple. 
And so today what I want to do is encourage you to to understand that. we got to get off the crazy bus. And what we want to do today is I want to talk to you about some some needs of your wife. And and these are going to come from a book entitled His Needs, Her Needs. And uh, it was written by a man named Willard Harley. And I've altered some of them, and I'm going to share it my own way. But I do recommend that you read this book. This is an incredible, incredibly helpful book. And so today... Five things that my wife needs that your wife needs from you. So number one, my wife needs affection from me. My wife needs affection from me. Now, affection symbolizes security and comfort, symbolizes approval. And when a husband shows affection to his wife, you're sending the message that I care about you. I love you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to be there for you. I approve of you. I'm proud of you of you. And so for men, we got to get this out of our heads. We got to get on the right path here. But men have to understand that affection and sex are totally different. Guys are like, huh? No, no, no. That's what happens before the main event. No, 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 no. That is not what affection is. Showing affection to your wife is when you write a a, a kind, loving note to her or either a text or an email, just sharing how much you appreciate her or value her or love her. It's, it's you just simply being kind to her. Oh, let me get you a glass of, uh, uh, you know, a drink, or let me get you a cup of coffee, or oh, you didn't get a napkin, let me bring that to you. Acts of service in, in, in that way. It's, it's simply going on a date with her and initiating that date, getting babysitters, planning the night, taking her to the, that restaurant or to whatever you're going to do to spend that time with her. It's opening up doors for her. It's holding her hand. It's putting your arm around her. It's talking about her in a positive way when you are in a crowd, when you're around people. Or when she's not around, you're talking to other people about her in a positive way. So I show affection with my words, what I say. I show affection with my actions, how I respond to her and interact with her. I show affection by my tender touch and, 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 and implementing that into my routine. And then it's with my attention that I give to her. Verse 28 here says, Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. And so we nourish and cherish our own body. We've got to nourish and cherish our wife. Colossians 3.19 says, Husbands... Give your wife much love and never treat them harshly. Give them much love and never treat them harshly. Um, I think a lot of husbands are treating their wives harshly. And so we have to think about uh, our words and our actions, what, not only what we are doing that's wrong, but also what we're not doing that we could be doing. And I think a lot of guys, they grow up, you know, making fun of their buddies, and that's part of guy culture. And then they start dating and they, they marry this woman and uh, they kind of treat her like a buddy sometimes. And it's like make fun or treat, you know, in, in a sarcastic way to get a laugh. And it's a terrible way to treat your wife. And I know a lot of guys too that just like to spend some time tearing their wife down to get a laugh. They like to criticize she doesn't look the right way or she doesn't say the right thing. And so he's constantly finding fault in her. Or he responds just in a harsh way. Something doesn't happen exactly as he would want it to happen. And so his reaction is a quick, harsh comment. You know, maybe it's in his face or maybe it's in his loud voice, but it kind of stings, it hurts, and, and he is condescending. Husbands, 
You've got to do a better job giving your wife much love and never be harsh with her. I hear this statement a lot from guys, and it's not a good statement, but men say, man, she knows how I feel. I don't have to tell her. I mean, that's a really dumb thing to say, isn't it? Think about that. Like, yeah, she knows, so I don't have to do anything. No, 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 you have to. You must. Not just when you're dating, not just, you know, the first year of marriage, but you must show and tell her creatively how much you love her every single day. A lot of guys say, well, I'm just not an affectionate guy. I didn't grow up in an affectionate home. We didn't do a lot of hugging, and we didn't do a lot of, you know, mushy-gushy kind of stuff. And to that, I would say, you know, being affectionate towards your wife is just like any other habit that you create in your life. At first, it's a little awkward, but as you develop it, and as you do it more and more, as you hold hands more and more, as you put your arm around her more and more, as you hug her more and more, as you show your affectionate in those ways, it becomes more and more natural. Everything that we learn in life sometimes happens, you know, as we get older. So we can't just blame, well, that's how I am or that's how I was raised. No, we've got to develop that. And so we've got to show our wives affection. Secondly, my wife needs communication from me. Communication. I know we've kind of talked about this a lot through this series, but it is so vital that communication gets better in our marriages. It's, it's a huge part of having a, a successful marriage. And just a quick definition here of communication. It just simply means verbal attention. Verbal attention. As the opening video showed, that was not giving verbal attention to his spouse, right? And we get zoned out and we think about what we've got to do and what we're doing and we completely zone out what our wife might be saying, but we've got to give her that attention. So as we think about this, uh, we, we think about, man, um, as, as I'm listening, as I'm giving this attention, uh, I'm going to look her in the eyes. I'm going to be interested in her day. Women sometimes are very, very detailed, and sometimes guys aren't so detailed, and so we kind of get lost in that, but we've got to maintain that focus there. And some of you say, well, I'm just not really that interested in what she has to say. And I would say, well, you need to go take a class on how not to be a jerk. (laughs) And you got to realize that when you love someone, you care about what they're thinking. You care about what they're feeling. You care about what they are communicating. And so we change our mentality. You know, I've learned that even the greatest marriages, you know, godly marriages, been married for a while, even in those marriages, communication is an issue. It's always one of those problems and things that we've got to constantly get better at and we've got to hone. And so a couple of points under the communication point, letter A, learn to speak her love language. Learn to speak her love language. What communicates love to my wife is different from what communicates love to me. And so Gary Chapman wrote a book years ago entitled The Five Love Languages. Again, another great book every couple should read, and it will help you grow. But he talks about how each person has a different way of feeling love. And so here are the examples. You might feel loved when your spouse takes a long walk with you, and you just, you just spend time together talking. And Chapman would say that your love language is the, the love language of quality time. Maybe you might feel love when your spouse rubs your shoulders, you know, and so your love language is physical touch. You might feel love when your spouse vacuums the living room or, you know, cleans up whatever, and and that's the love language of acts of service. You might feel loved when your spouse says, 
honey, you did a great job. That was amazing. And your love language might be words of affirmation. Or you might just feel love when your spouse buys you an outfit or buys you something. And, and uh, that love language is receiving gifts. And so, so it's important to know what love language your wife has because you could be speaking the wrong love language. I hear a lot of guys say, man, I tell her she's beautiful. I tell her she's wonderful. I tell her how amazing she is. But if her love language is quality time, it doesn't matter what you're saying. She wants to be in, a, in an environment where it's just you two. And, and there's just that quality time hanging out, drinking coffee, or taking a, a, a walk somewhere. You might as well be speaking Spanish to her if you're not doing that. So what is your spouse's love language? Important to understand. You might say, I think my wife has all of them. <laughs> and uh, good luck with that one. No. There's going to be one that really she hones in on, you know, and, and so figuring that out, having that conversation. Letter B here is learn to decode your wife's statements. Learn to decode her statements because here's the reality. Now, if you're single, single guys in the room, college guys, listen to this carefully. Take a lot of notes. This is going to help you in the long run get a girl that, you know, you're going to outpunt your coverage if you can figure this stuff out here, right here. Learn to decode because what a woman says isn't necessarily what a woman means. It's the truth. It's the truth. If your wife says, fine, do whatever you want, that does not mean do whatever you want. That means you know me well enough to know that I do not approve of that, and if you do it anyway, I'm going to go off. That's what that means, right? So you can't just do whatever you want. If your wife has ever said, yeah, I'm almost ready, it does not mean she's almost ready. That means it could be 10 minutes, could be an hour. What it means is sit sit your butt down and wait till she comes downstairs and then you'll be ready to go. That's what it means. Now, some of you are thinking, okay, why can't they just say what they mean? I don't know. I, 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 can't, I, I can't decode that one for, for us today, but, but I do know they don't do this intentionally. They're not out to try to make us miserable. It's just how they tend to communicate sometimes. Now, guys do it too. Women just have a special way of doing it. And so, so guys have to learn how to decode our wife. I was uh, in, uh, I was, my wife and I were um, having a heated fellowship uh, one time, and she was talking about, it, it was over Christmas and holidays, it was when we first got married, and that always tended to kind of, you know, surface some tension in our relationship. We lived out of town, and so when we were coming in, whose house we going to, when, and how long, and all that kind of stuff. Y'all don't ever have heated discussions about that in your family, but uh, we did, and, and I know that's a, a source of contention in a lot of families, but uh, I remember at one point, she, in the, in the heat of the moment, she looked at me and she said, you don't even care about me. You don't even care about me. Now, what happens when, when a wife says something like that to a man? Ladies, listen to me. When you say that to your husband, all of a sudden now he's ready to fight, right? Why? Because you just attacked his character You've just attacked his honor as a man. How can you say, I don't care about you? And I, I, I listen, I'm a, I'm a preacher. I've got three points and a poem and an example, and I've got a, I can add a, a story, and a, I can do it to prove to my wife that I care about her, right? What, what am I doing? Well, I'm 
I'm, I'm, I'm proving my honor and, and I'm defending my honor. Why? Every guy in the room does this. When we were little boys, we would, you know, we were with our buddies and we'd make fun of each other. And as soon as we get made fun of, what would we do? Boom, we'd lash out with the one-liner back and we'd go back and forth. And, and then somebody might cross the line and then we're fighting, right? We're wrestling, we're punching each other, happening in sports, you know. You're on the field, you're on the basketball court, talking trash, everything's lighthearted. Then somebody crosses the line and boom, all of a sudden you're fighting, you know. Why? Because men defend our honor. We, when somebody crosses the line of our character and our honor, you're not going to talk to me that way. That's not going to happen. Why? Because I, ultimately we want to be respected. And so we spend a lot of time in fights and arguments with our friends. Now enter into, you know, a marriage and that same tendency is there for a guy. But what guys have to learn to do is decode what our wife is saying. Right? And so what she's saying not isn't always what she means. Have you ever seen the movie U-571? It's about a submarine. Uh, it's actually a, a German U-boat, a German submarine, and uh, it breaks down, and the Americans come up with this ingenious plan, and, and they're going to they're gonna get on board of this U-boat uh, because on the boat is what they, they call an enigma. And the Enigma was a German decoder. So during the war, they would send out, hey, this is what you're going to do. Here are your orders. And it would be encrypted. And the Allies would hear it, but they wouldn't know how to understand it or what it meant. And so the Germans would get that, and then they would stick it into this machine, the Enigma, and it would interpret and decode the message. And so the Americans thought, man, if we could get that machine then that would change the course of the war. And so great movie, they get that. And then if you went and, and you watched the imitation game recently, that's a story of how they actually broke the code. And, and, the, and the movie shows that it's only one guy that does it, but really there were multiple guys. But anyway, different story. The, the point is, men, we've got to become the enigma. Think of yourself as an enigma. And whatever messages are coming in, you're going to decode, and then you're going to respond in the appropriate way. When my wife said, you don't even care about me, she didn't mean that I literally don't care about me. What she meant was, Trent, tell me that you care about me. Show me that you care about me. In this moment, right now, I want you to demonstrate that you care about my feelings. And that's exactly what I am trying to learn how to do, right? And as you begin to interpret those messages and you begin to value her opinion and you begin to show her love and you begin to compromise in those moments, you start to show her and you start to exemplify the very thing that she is dying for. So we got to start saying some things, guys. We hear these outlandish statements and not true. Don't take it personally. Don't see it as a violation against your honor. You want to decode that message, and you want to say, Honey, I am sorry you feel that way. I've never felt that way, or I don't understand why, but I want you to know that I love you, and I want to do better. I haven't experienced that. It's my bad. Let me, let me show you in this moment that, yes, I care about you. Men might say, Well, my wife is the one that's harsh with me. She's the one that kind of is, is harsh to me. But listen, the more negative a wife's words are to you, the more she is crying out for a husband's affection. 
She might be going about it the wrong way, but the bottom line is that she is seeking your affection. A husband, a wise husband, decodes his wife's negative words, but a foolish husband just gets angry and fights back. He stonewalls or he becomes silent. He ignores her. It's not what we're going to do. We're going to decode and learn to communicate better. Number three, my wife needs me to honor her. My wife needs me to honor her. 1 Peter 3, 7 says, Husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. So we're called to honor our wife, and if we dishonor her, if we're not living in accordance to this principle, then our prayer life is hindered. And so I think that's a little bit more motivation that we would honor our wife. Hebrews 13, 4 says, marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. You know, men, we honor our wife by being loyal to her, by being loyal to her physically, by being loyal to her. I know a lot of men in the room are actively involved with pornography. Neither, that neither honors your wife, doesn't honor the Lord, it doesn't honor your family, and it's not, not being uh, loyal to her in the sense of keeping the marriage bed pure. It's a huge problem. Huge problem even in the church. And I think it's, it's time for men to feel the conviction and the weight of what they're doing. It is killing you spiritually. It's killing the intimacy that you so desire and that you long for with your wife. It's killing the way that you even view your family and, and how you view women and how you even view your own daughters potentially. Why? Because we, we begin to view women as objects for our own selfish pleasure instead of viewing them as daughters of the Most High King. And so we want to honor our wife by keeping the marriage bed pure, honoring the Lord and honoring her by what we allow ourselves to see and what we participate in. There are some other men in the room that are blatantly flirting with other women. You might even be in, already crossing that line. You're called to honor your wife. You're called to honor your family. And a lot of times it's that 16-year-old boy inside of a grown 40, 50-year-old man who wants to feel like he's cool, you know. I want to feel like I'm the man. I still got it. I, I, I can get that affirmation from here. And we like to give excuses. Well, I'm not getting it there, so I'm going to get it here. Dishonors the Lord. It dishonors your family. It dishonors the cross. And it dishonors your wife. What we want to do is we want to take advantage, guys, of opportunities when our wife makes comments. We want to decode those. We want to infuse loyalty. We want to infuse honor in those moments. And so if your wife has ever said, you know, are you going to love me when I, you know, gain weight or when I, my hair gets gray or when I get wrinkles? And, and uh, instead of saying, I don't know, you know, it'd be a good idea to say, honey, you're stuck with me. We're going to be old and gray together, and we're going to use a, a cane and a walker together, and it's going to be amazing. We're going to go get the blue light special at 3.30 in the afternoon and be in bed by 7. It's going to be awesome, right? And we infuse that love and loyalty into her mind. 
Number four, my wife needs me to provide financial security. Financial security. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, especially for his immediate family, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So the Bible calls men to be the spiritual leaders of the home. The Bible also says that as a man, it's our duty to provide for the financial needs of our wife and our family. It's not to provide every, you know, want that she might have, but it is to provide for her financial needs. And so my conviction is that if your wife wants to stay at home with the kids, then you should do whatever it takes to lower your standard of living so that she can stay at home if she so desires. Not a, not a, a bad thing for a wife to, to work, but ultimately that responsibility does fall upon a man biblically. I think you also have to provide for your wife's future. And so practically what that means is if, if God were to, were to take you out of the picture and call you to come home, nobody plans that, nobody wants that, granted. But at the same time, to be a, 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 a spiritual leader in my home, to provide for, for her, that means I've got to practically get life insurance. So that if I do pass, then my wife and my children and their financial needs are met and they don't have to worry and so that might be life insurance for you. Maybe you've not, never written out a will. You know, very practical, but, but you need to write out that will so that the state doesn't take what, you know, belongs to your kids or, or you know, your, your, your spouse. And so very practically, this is what it means here to provide financial security to her. And I think it's a huge part of our responsibility. Number five, my wife needs me to commit to the family. Now, a lot of husbands let their wife do all the parenting, let their wife do all the housework. They let them kind of do all the domestic stuff. And man, I can't tell you how important it is for a husband to share the responsibility as a parent. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, don't overcorrect your children or make it difficult for them to obey. Bring them up with Christian teaching and Christian disciplines. You know, one of the greatest ways you as a father can help your wife is to discipline your own kids. You know, I, I, I think passive fathers is one of the, you know, the biggest you know, problems in our culture right now. And it drives me nuts to see dads at restaurants just kind of passively sitting there while their kids run around like animals and their wife is stressed out. It's like, dude, show up. Be a man. Stop being so passive and letting everybody do everything and your kids run crazy. That's a different sermon. I get it. But the idea is to discipline our kids. And the scripture uses the word discipline. It doesn't use the word punish because the word and the idea of punishment is different than the word discipline. You know, you and I aren't punished for our sin. In fact, Jesus took our punishment. And so when God deals with us as his children, he's not punishing us for past sins. No, he sent Jesus to the cross to die in our place and to receive our punishment. So when the Word of God uses the word discipline, what it, it, it's teaching us is that, hey, you want to teach your kids and prepare them for the future. So that's what discipline really means. It means preparing them for the future. It's allowing them to understand that, hey, what I did now is not helpful. I don't want to do that again. Here are the consequences. Here's why. And so we're guiding them with discipline. Not only that, but as men, we want to fulfill our role as a spiritual leader. Again, Ephesians 5, verse 26, it says, husbands, show the same kind of love to your wife as Christ showed to the church when he died for her. Listen, 
At the end of the day, showing love to your wife is all about sacrifice. It's sacrificing sometimes my needs. It's sacrificing my wants. Why? To elevate her desires, to elevate her needs. No, that's not popular in a culture that says, hey, get yours, man. You, you need to make yourself happy. You need to do what, you know, is going to take care of you. No, 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 no. Scriptures is antithetical to what our culture would teach. And the culture would say, do whatever makes you feel good. And Jesus says, no, sacrifice what you need. Sacrifice your desires and wants to elevate hers and, and to show her that love and commitment and affection. Just like Jesus sacrificed for the church, men were called to sacrifice for our wives. Practically, that means as the spiritual leader, I got to lead in the area of sacrifice. Practically, it means that I take the initiative to pray with my wife. I take the initiative to pray with my family. I take the initiative to go to church and, and to be a part of a small group and to serve. I, as the leader of the home, very simple, means I have to initiate. If I'm waiting around passively for, for this to happen and to that to happen, that's not leadership. That's passivity. God would call you to lead, to take initiative, to take the first step. Even when you are disrespected, you sacrifice and you respond in love. That's what Jesus would call you to do. That's what leaders do. That's how leaders lead. And so we think about all this and it's like, okay, we also know we reap what we sow. And so what are you sowing into your marriage? If you feel like you're in prison today, if you feel like you're incarcerated, then chances are you, you, you've been sowing a lot, of, a, a lot of seeds that led to this day, and it's time to make a change. It's time to start sowing, you know, a positive direction. And I know we've talked about a lot of stuff, and it's like, whew, man, I don't know, Trent. This is, this is difficult. It's a bit overwhelming. My wife needs affection. She needs communication. She needs honor. She needs financial security. My goodness, she needs me to make a commitment to the family. And, and uh, sometimes it can be a bit overwhelming, but I think what always motivates me, and maybe it motivates you as well, but a lot of times I like to reminisce and I like to kind of think back to the beginning stages of our relationship. And, and uh, maybe the same is, is true for you. Like when you first saw her, those first dates those things that you guys were, were doing, maybe you were hiking or maybe you were biking or whatever it was that you were doing, something was happening inside of your heart, right? You knew, okay, she's not perfect, but man, she's perfect for me. And, and uh, you were sacrificing for her. You were going out, you know, on dates with her regularly. You were buying her things. You were, you, you were going out of your way to show love to her. And somewhere along the way, you just kind of fell away from that. Somewhere along the way, you just kind of fell into the patterns and rhythms that, that, that began to sow things into your marriage that have led to an, an, an unhappy relationship. So let's think back. Let's think back and remember what that was like, because back then she was worth fighting for. And the truth is, yeah, she's worth fighting for today. Your kids are worth fighting for. Your future is worth fighting for. And I think it's helpful for us to remember those early, early days of your marriage, because it reminds you that you once thought she was perfect. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.